This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is David A. Goodman, writer and consulting producer for Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shame Utella, and joining me, as always, is the evil Patrick, who likes putting me into the agony booth of this podcast. I thought the podcast was the agony booth. It is, and I gotta... Like, just, just in general, just making you come on here was enough. No, it's it, just hearing your voice is what is the agony. That Which I is get. why I try and talk as much as possible. Well, we are we are excited. We are finishing up finally our retrospective series. You know, Patrick, I don't know if you realize this, so I've been on Warp Five now for three years, and when I started, they were still in season two of the retrospective. So we've been doing this series of podcasts for almost four years now. Yeah, it's been a long time because when I started, which is a little over, eight, it's got to be almost it's got to be almost two now, right? Two years, year and a half about. Yep. Yeah. We, I, I first came in doing the very beginning of season three. Yeah. So for a year, it took us a year and a half to finish her up, but I'm glad that we did it the way that we did because there was a lot to go through for these ones here. So I'm very happy with how this series of episodes went and I'm glad to finally wrap it up. And last year at Vegas, I actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, uh, one of the great Star Trek authors, co-authors of many novels with Dayton Ward. And many short stories as well, including, if I remember correctly, one on Eric's. Yes, that's correct. Yes, uh, we've got the wonderful Kevin Dillmore of Hallmark. Thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. Oh, well, thank you. No, this is, uh, I'd say it was a treat, but then I I watched the episodes we're going to talk about. (laughs) No. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's horrible. I I like some, I like all of these ones in a certain way. Yeah, well, it's like everything else. It's, you know, sometimes you've got, you know, you you got to really search for the things to love. Wait a second. Did you just say you like all of these in a certain way? I do. The, okay, Brandon, then I'm the one in the agonizer booth at the moment. I'm happy to share what, you know, the glimpses of little things that, that I uh, that I like about each one of those. That's not a problem. Yeah. Awesome. Gotta remember that I co-wrote a sequel to one of these. 
Yes, I know. So, and which I do really love the extended lit verse and what they did with those books. I think it was oh, absolutely thanks. brilliant. So, Thank you, I think those books, you're, you're kind to say. Many of them fixed a lot of issues. So, well, I'll have totally... to, when we're done, remind me and I'll turn my computer. I don't want to do it right now, but I've got all my novels right over here. Uh... And, um, you also, uh, if, if we remember correctly, you guys also were the, I believe the first people to actually write an enterprise scene for a book. Am I right? Ooh, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know that that's true, um, but, uh, but um, you know, throw it to the audience. I, I mean, I don't know that I, that I thought of that as, uh, you know, um, thought of that having that distinction. Because you wrote, you guys wrote the scene in the a time to. You're absolutely correct. It, I was my brain was thinking that you know, are you saying Age of the Empress was the first? No, you're not. We wrote Enterprise into uh, our time to books. Yeah, so it's it's tight on the timeline. The other option for maybe would be the prologue for DeCandido's Badlands duology. It's it's possible. I think we beat him to press, um, but. You may be right because we we intentionally worked that in, and plus the fact we also uh, we may be the first people, if nothing else, to uh, use a uh, denobulum in um, in print because we had a denobulum medical officer um, on uh, in in our uh, um, books as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, right on. Named, so, named after the uh, um, pediatrician and obstetrician that uh, brought me into the world, believe it or not. Trop? Uh, yeah, Trope. Dr. Trope, is, Trope. Uh, was, Trope was, yep. the, was the guy who, uh, um, who you know, slapped my butt and called me done. Yes. Well, this is not the novel podcast. We have another one for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, and nobody wants to talk about butt slapping on here. <laughs> but, You'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> the <this> stuff. <laughs> The Star Trek Litverse is what kept my fandom alive after Enterprise went off the air. Was reading I, the novels. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, the uh, I mean, it certainly kept me going. You know, mm-hmm. in the you know, I absolutely was a fan reading these before I ever thought I'd have a chance to write one. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm right there with you. Excellent. Um, before we get into the episodes, though, right now, yep. Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work with Hallmark? Because you're always sure. at Vegas every year talking about Hallmark, and you guys always have a special Star Trek ornament that comes out every year. And last year, you guys had Mares and Eric's as like, a cool piece. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that was actually uh, um, one of the uh, um, <laughs> one of our lesser selling ornaments. It was all my idea, so I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> happy to say, yeah, that one didn't, that one didn't make it so, uh, you know, as popular. Well, I have one. I was the one that bought one. Uh, you know what? I bought one too. So we, we sold at least three we then. We sold at least three. Right no, here. we did. We, they did fine. They just didn't blow out the door like we know. Um, yeah, that was actually, I'm, I'm pretty, there was four or five uh, Star Trek ornaments over the last, uh, um, you know, 14 years that I've been with Hallmark that I will say I've been uh, very proud to be associated with. And I am not on the uh, keepsakes team. Um, I am a uh, uh, liaison for the keepsakes team for the Hallmark Writing Studio. Um, but uh, I've been advising them on Star Trek stuff almost since I got into the building in uh, 2005 because they found out that I was not only a big fan but connected professionally, and so I got to jump in on brainstorms and things like that. So uh, um, at Vegas this year, we announced what we're doing next year 
for uh, Star Trek, which is uh, uh, a series we're calling Star Trek Storytellers. It's going to have seven ornaments plus a tree topper um, over the course of the next three years, 2020, 21, and 22. Um, and by the end of it, when you uh, plug all the ornaments in a string, you're going to get about 10 minutes of Mirror Mirror. And uh, each of the episodes oh, wow. is going to be a figural character of the uh, Enterprise crew and their Terran Empire outfits. So um, I'm very excited to be doing that. I can tell you that I've heard some uh, um, segments of that episode. I've been working on it for a year. And I've, been, I've, probably li- I've probably watched that episode more than I have any other Star Trek in the, in the last 12 months. And I think I can recite it in my sleep. But uh, very excited to, to bring that project to life. Awesome. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you in Vegas because it was a good answer, and I'm sure that there are Hallmark ornament fans. Oh, that... I hope I can remember it. Was I sober? You were, you were definitely sober. Okay, I'll try to remember the answer then. So the question was, why did you guys switch from being able to plug the ornaments into the light bulb socket to batteries? Oh, well, there, that's, that, that's actually that's, – and that's not a Star Trek question. That's more of just a uh, – uh, technology, on, you know, onward into the future question. Uh, the number one reason is that uh, we're able to uh, make the sculpts more screen accurate because the battery um, power is, uh, un- it, uh, is a different type of approval process than when you're using something straight from the wall. Underwriter's laboratory has to get involved and sometimes the things that we would have to do for uh, that level of current coming in, coming in uh, makes things less screen accurate. Um, but the uh, and the other reason is that uh, nowadays, um, as trees go more and more into the LEDs, uh, not only are the sockets wrong, but they don't have nearly the power that you need to uh, e- to power even one of those ornaments. You could cram that in there or make some sort of adapter or whatever to get into an LED string, but the whole tree would dim. And I don't even know if you'd have enough power to, to do an ornament. That's how bright those uh, uh, bulbs are and how little juice they actually use. So uh, that's but, – but now the Star Trek uh, Storyteller set that I talked about that's coming out next year, that will have a separate string, of li- uh, string that uh, connects to the wall, and those will be a constant on, at least with mm-hmm. the light. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, because that was one question that I had for you, because I had actually just started collecting the ornaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, sent me a bunch of them, and I, I'd never seen them before, really. Honestly, the first ones that I bought were the 50th anniversary. Oh, nice. The gold, the gold Enterprise. Yep. And I think it was the Salt Vampire one. Yes. And... I, Maybe it was just the two that year. Was there a third um, one? Well, yeah, actually, what there was that year was also our tabletop. Um, it was yeah, yeah the, I did uh, get that one. Yeah, yeah, the Kirk's Bach and McCoy on the bridge kind of a scene. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we went with the fiftieth uh, golden anniversary uh, um, uh, sculpt of the nineteen sixty four shooting model, um, which mm-hmm. you can see has the bigger bridge dome, the larger deflector dish, the spikes on the front of the nacelles. But that's based on the, the model that was delivered to Desilu in December of 1964. And then Mantrap, because that was the first episode that aired. Did they have that? Was that also the year they did the Beyond? Um, or was that the next year? Uh, uh, Star the Trek. from Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, you know what? The, 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 uh, now, we have not um, done the, uh, uh, at least I don't think we've done the Enterprise from that film. But it was released in 2016. Because that yeah. that was their fiftieth anniversary kind of you know love letter to fans. 
Okay. Awesome. So you never thought to ask an electrician who teaches transformers and electrical circuits why the stringer was different? No, I thought I was I was with him in Vegas, and <laughs> I just thought I'd go to the source. So, yeah, you would actually blow up the the. It, it's likely that you could blow up the tree. Yeah, the LEDs. My goal when I did the Star Trek storytellers, I had to, you know kind of take that whole episode and trim it down to about ten minutes. But my original draft, I actually did have the. Uh, I assume you ordered the full duration uh, and have Chekhov screaming from his ornament. You know, and, and basically kind of flashing and because uh, I thought nothing says Christmas like that. How many of us go home for Christmas and think we have stepped into the agony booth? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, one last Christmas then thing for this. Like we've gone on a tangent for ornaments, but that's fine. Nah, I'm sorry. We have, didn't even get you... 15 minutes in. No, this is me. I love this stuff because <laughs> yeah. now I'm collecting ornaments, so it's great. But um, <laughs> did you guys realize, because now it's a meme everywhere, that the Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan one that you did was about a, a Jew that came back from the dead to the joy of everybody. Because <laughs> your Star Trek II one was the... Uh, it was, that's been, true. Was... That's, I hadn't thought about that. But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, dang it. Uh, um, you know, that's, if, if that's the way people want to embrace that on them, then by all means. <laughs> now, now, I will say there's a little bit of a bittersweetness to that. As, as you can imagine, there were people who have no idea that it takes 18 months or so from start to finish to get an ornament in stores. Um, you know, thought that it was like we were kind of sneaking something in um, to the store, you know, uh, ill-timed or, or morbidly timed with um, Mr. Nimoy's passing. But uh, he um, personally approved any of the Star Trek products that we did that involved his likeness or his voice. And that ornament was the final approval we received personally from him um before he passed so that was a uh, you know i mean for the people who were quick to jump on the uh, internet bandwagon to call us insensitive but uh, you know i kind of like you know i'm you know, mr nimoy was well aware of his condition and gave his 100 percent approval to that ornament um you know for us to move forward with it so you know mm-hmm. i mean I'll, i mean that's all i got yeah Internet tends to jump on people for things pretty darn quick, which I will be addressing in tonight's podcast. Yes, we will. As we jump into our discussion, what a great transition. We're going to be (laughs) finishing up our retrospective series tonight. We're going to be talking about the two-part Intermeric Darkly, which ties into the ornaments. And we'll be talking about Demons and Terra Prime. And we'll also be talking about... And that's it. And that's it. And that's it. And the season ended... And then, no, then and, like, and, cut out the rest that of That last episode is for Earl Grey. That's it. We're done. No. <laughs> See, yeah, you ruined my joke, Patrick. You ruined my joke. <laughs> I got a feeling we'll have plenty more jokes. <laughs> we got one or two more. I was going to say, I, f- I popped in my Blu-ray and I found, I don't know why, I found 42 minutes of deleted scenes from the Pegasus on my Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> so. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Anyways, why don't we jump into In a Mirror Darkly? So, Kevin, when I actually approached you in Vegas to ask if you wanted to be on our show, you specifically said I want to be on to talk about In a Mirror Darkly. I did. So let's talk about that. Why? First of all, let's start there. Why did you want to jump on for these ones? Well, I mean, as as again evidenced by what we'd already been talking about, um, the uh, uh, the Terran Empire and the Mirror Universe has always been intriguing to me. Um, we uh, Dave and I had the opportunity. Uh, you know, really, we were very flattered to be asked to uh, take uh, Mike Sussman's um, 
the proposal for a two-part episode that would have been in the fifth season of Enterprise had it continued to uh, continue the story of uh, Empress Sato. And so that, that is just something that uh, you know, was just a little bit uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, rewatching, and I know we rewatched it a couple of times just to kind of get a feel for those characters because we didn't write the uh, original Enterprise characters. We, you know, we, you know, it wasn't like the original series episode where you kind of get a flavor of, of both. I mean, these are the 100% the portrayals of these characters, um, you know, as they appear in, uh, you know, uh, for the Terran Empire. And uh, so just kind of get a feel for it. We rewatched that episode a couple of times. So there were things I'd forgotten. I, I just don't think about the fact that this, that, that episode is uh, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that that script had come from an idea from the season five. Like I've got that, that anthology. Uh, if you, if you look trip. in the glass empires anthology, when you look up, it says story by Mike Sussman and, and okay. which is absolutely true. He had, he didn't have a script. He had a treatment um, okay. it already written up uh, to propose a two parter that laid everything out. And we talked quite a bit with Mike. Um, during the uh, the process, in fact, and actually, he sat with me on a panel um, in uh, in Vegas. Uh, I think it was Vegas. It might have been uh, San Diego um, to um, around uh, the time that that came out. So uh, he was really supportive of uh, of our uh, um, taking his ideas and uh, turning them into a different medium, you know, medium that he hadn't worked in before. Cool, excellent, awesome. uh, Patrick. Now, let me ask you. Because you watched these episodes live. Yes. What were your initial impressions when these came on? Were you aware that these episodes were coming, or were they a complete surprise to you when they aired? So I never watched, like, I never watched um, anything, with any TV show, I never watched Coming Up Next, or read the TV Guide to find out information, or even look up the names of episodes. So I had no idea that a Mirror Universe episode was coming when these finally hit. And one of the things I liked the most about it was, it was, it was jarring at first, the very beginning, but more importantly, they changed the whole entrance credits mm-hmm. to fit as if... So now, instead of just the show taking place in the Mirror Universe, you kind of had the feeling like you were in the Mirror Universe watching just a regular TV show in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> you know? That was my favorite part of the first time. I watched it live, too. And, uh, and that, when, they, when they changed the credits... Uh, and you know, I had a different theme song, and I thought, okay, this would be what it would feel like if there was a Terran Empire TV series. Now, I, I felt exactly the way you did. Right, and I thought that was ingenious. I mean, I loved the entrance. Not, I don't like people maiming and blowing people up, but it's TV. I mean, mm-hmm. so I like that they changed it that way. They didn't just like pass it off as just another episode. It just so happens that it takes place in the Mirror Universe. And, you know, this is the first time that they did it where – I believe, right? Where it just takes place entirely in the mirror universe. So it's not like our crew is going there. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason for it to actually be connected to our show in the title credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I liked. I also, there's a few things that I didn't agree with necessarily in the story. Like, I don't believe that Phlox and T'Pol would still be on the ship mm-hmm. if this was the mirror universe. I just don't believe that... that you take anyone from this universe, put them in that universe, and they automatically just become a bad version of themselves on the same ship. Does that make sense? It, it does, and I think what was the, I, you know, and I can't, you know, Mike. I think I think uh, Manny Cotto came up with the story and Mike wrote the script for for these, if I remember correctly. Um, 
And I wondered if it was one of those deals where they weren't necessarily looking at this as a prequel to the original series. They were looking at this as a logical prequel to every mirror universe and all of them. And I think they wanted to have the Terrans enslave races. Mm -hmm. So when you are watching the episodes from Deep Space Nine and the Terrans themselves are enslaved, I think they wanted kind of this like, um, you know, well, you did it to us, so we're going to do it to you kind of, you know, backward, you know, retcon or something. Yeah. You know, I understand why. And look, to be honest, if they didn't add to Paul and Flocks, I'd probably be sitting here complaining that where are they in the episode. But um, it just it just would have seemed more. I don't know. It would have seemed more natural that just Terrans would be on the ship. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair, especially given the fact that Spock, in no way, shape, or form, um, is uh, are we led to believe that he is enslaved or a lesser person, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or a lesser valued being, like they hammered into us that Paul was, mm-hmm. right? And even Flocks, but Flocks was more accepted because he was more complicit with being there. Yes. He was happy to be there. And I don't know, would Denoblians just become really bad all of a sudden? Good like, question. I don't know. You know, because the whole idea is that the, the thing, the one thing that changed in the mirror universe was that the human beings were awful. Yes. That's like the one difference. Mm-hmm. So does that make, does Denoblians still come and become our friends? Like, I, I don't know. Right. Um but to go back to really quick on the first viewing, one of the things I really liked was it shows Efren Cochran, and they still give the sign, and he just shoots them. And that's when you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. I want to come back to that in a second, but I want to address what you just said there, Patrick, because I agree with you. So In a Mirror Darkly is pure fun, and I really love it, and it's one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise, like the two-parter itself. But I get what you're saying, and I've talked about this on a few other podcasts, is if when you look at the Mirror Universe... Um, especially when you get to D Space Nine and stuff like that, really the only thing that's different is that humans are bad and evil. Cardassians are basically still Cardassians. Klingons are basically still Car- uh, Klingons. You know, we've got Kira, you know, who's bad, but I I attribute that mostly because she's in a position of power Right. And so she's being, you know, influenced in this specific way because their type of rule was previously influenced by the way the Terror Empire ruled things. Right. So, yes, I don't necessarily think that all species are the opposite of what we saw them. I believe this mirror universe that we see is just the humans are bad. So it to me, it also is a little bit off that we've got like this torturous flocks. But I, then I can also boil that down to, okay, he's a slave on the ship, and he's right. just following the orders of the people above him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he just seemed to be too happy about it. And, I mean, I guess you could also write that off his Stockholm Syndrome at this point. We don't know how long mm-hmm. he's been a slave on the ship, so it could just be Stockholm Syndrome. And uh, oh, it doesn't ruin the episode for me, by the way. No, just, no. Uh, so I, it's not that I don't like these episodes. It's just that's just something I noticed watching these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to go back, and then I'll just ask you that question. Since you brought up the the divergence of of um, Zephram Cochran shooting the Vulcans, I want to ask your guys' interpretation of that prologue. Do you think that that is the moment of the dimension splitting, or do you think it's before that? Oh, I think it's well before that. I mean, yeah. what Zephram Cochran was evidencing was this is how you know, humanity 
has responded to, you know, in, in every time of crisis is to lash out in violence. I got to feel, I mean, and you can see in the opening credits, you know, I mean, the images that they have of, uh, of human history are all um, violent warfare. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you know, aliens show up and, and you know, and humans are going to show their true colors in that particular universe, which is I'm going to reach into my jacket and, and, uh, and, and take everything we can get our hands on after we kill you all. I have a complicated answer for this. When was World War Three? How long before Zephyrin Cochran? Ooh. It was like right then, like like the, Zephyr Cochran. We saw right? first contact. World War Three was like just done, maybe a year or two. Okay, so I think the split for humans happened at the end of World War Three, because instead of deciding they all had to work together, they took this other path. Now, for the rest of the universe, I think the split happens the moment he shoots the Vulcan. Okay. Because until that moment, nothing changes for them. Nothing outside of Earth changes for any other race. Until the moment Zephyrin Cochran shoots. Okay. But I think what led Zephyrin Cochran to make the warp drive has changed. Okay. I like that, actually. That's I quite like interesting. That. That's Yeah, that's a really good point. I that- like that. And then they mention it. They met in, uh, you know, to jump ahead to uh, uh, Demons and Terra Prime, there's that hint of, um, you know, well, did the Vulcans show up? Um, because we did Warp Drive or had they been watching us for a long time and could they have saved us from decimating ourselves in World War Three? and that's why we hate them. You know, so, I mean, that could kind of play in a little bit with uh, with what you're talking about. Um, you know, what what type of, of uh, you know, uh, sentiment was Earth having, at least in that universe? Mm-hmm. We, well, I, in other podcasts, we've actually talked about that too, that the Terra Prime movement could be an instigator for the mirror universe if it gained enough tra- if it gained enough traction. I think but, that's you know, that's valid. Yeah, awesome. No, I like that what you said, Patrick, that World War Three, that's the split. World War Three happens. How does humanity recoup from that? Do they recoup in a positive or a negative way? And then you're right, everything else is fine until he shoots the alien and now humanity board their ship, take everything you can. Right. right. Had had the Vulcans not showed up Terror, you know, the the Terran Empire may never exist because it may never get to the point where it can exist. Sure. Mm. Excellent. I love that. That's great. So my favorite aspect of this and what I do love about season four of Enterprise is how they try and tie it into the broader universe. So not only are they tying it into the broader universe by doing a mirror universe story, but they tie it in the broader universe by bringing in one of the most obscure references from the original Star Trek in The Defiant. And I didn't know this was coming when I first watched it. And I, when they said it was The Defiant, when they showed it on screen, I, I know I stood up from my chair and went like, oh my goodness. Like it was the most amazing moment ever. And I, on Enterprise, there's many times when I critique them for maybe going to fan service a little too often. This one doesn't feel like fan service to me. This one feels like an outstanding sequel to the Enterprise incident. Well, I think that this fits my bill of what is fan service too far, where for you and for me and for fans, you know, for Kevin and for fans like that, we understand what they're showing us, right? Mm-hmm. But if my wife watches that episode, she doesn't know what the Defiant is. It doesn't ruin the episode. Right for her because she still understands it's a ship from the original series mm-hmm. right 
And she doesn't need to know much more other than, uh oh, well, this thing got abandoned here and now we found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I don't think it took, and plus the fact at that point in time in 2005, any opportunity for us to, uh, you know, kind of step back onto that 23rd century slash 1966 production design um, was exciting for us. Um, you know, I, I love that. And, uh, you know, and, and they were, you know, putting on uniforms, they were using the props, they were, you know, I mean, that, that part was, you know, as far as for my money was really fun to, to watch. Yeah, when, when Archer is in the, the TOS uniform and she's like, what is that? I found it in the captain's wardrobe. Yeah. That was a great scene. Yeah. And what I, and I also liked, um, the few times that we could see him sitting in the, you know, in the big chair on the bridge. He sat in it like uh, uh, Commodore Decker, uh, which was always great. You know, kind of the slouch arm over the side. Um, you know, I loved that part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something I thought the episode did really well, and I probably didn't notice it until watching it this time. Everyone's look was just a little off. Their hair was different uh-huh. or whatever. And not like, I mean, Tucker, uh, you know, Tucker had the big scar or whatever, but everyone had new haircuts and stuff, and... Honestly, some of them look better than the ones they sported the whole series. But, um, but and some people looked massively different with that new haircut. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think that uh, Archer's hairstyle definitely made him look more thuggish. Um, yeah. you know, which which to me worked in the context of the episode. Um, the uh, Mayweather's hair is the greatest, but yeah. it's so nineties. I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love his hair. But and then and then you take someone like T'Pol looks like two different people. Yeah, mm-hmm. when she has you know the, the typical Vulcan hairstyle versus long hair down her back, it's such a different look. And I'm sure they did a little bit with makeup and stuff too, mm-hmm. changes. Yeah, and she just looks so different. Yeah, I uh, yeah that that part was fun. The production design for uh, um, they really did I, I, again the advantage, like you said, um, with a lot of these episodes. We're kind of seeing our characters that we've known for years crossing over and sneaking into, you know, the like behind enemy lines. This was not that. This was this was these. You know, this is what's really happening there. And I think that uh, th- them uh, taking the steps that they did with the way the characters look was really smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed that Hoshi gets a big part of all this, even though it's yeah. not our Hoshi. But just seeing that actress get to. And she changes, you know, she's a lot different than the Hoshi we've been seeing over the years. And so you really get to see how far she's able to go with her, her acting ability. Yeah. And and that was that was absolutely the most fun part for us in uh, helping write the uh, the sequel was her character. Um, just uh, you know, I love the fact that, you know, she's you know, she she's learning at the hands of ambitious people. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, well, I could just as easily poison this champagne as I could uh, serve it. And uh, she walks on, you know, because Archer said over and over, um, you know, it's like it's the the person who has this technology is going to, you know, be the next person in charge. And uh, and she took him at his word and it worked. Now, we do get a lot of wonderful callbacks here. You know, we get a couple alien races as well that we saw in the original Starship. We got the Tholians and we get the Gorn. Mm hmm. 
So now uh, a lot of people aren't very happy with how the Gorn lurks looks. I'm kind of one of them. The CGI just doesn't quite work for him. But I think the Tholian is really interesting how the Tholian works. I love seeing the Tholian on screen. Um, but uh, Patrick, what do you think of the callback to these TOS aliens that we see on screen? Oh, I loved it. I love the fact that we get this because but this is the time we're in where we, we should be seeing these types of aliens. And I felt that one of the things that Enterprise did that bothered a lot of people was it did try and introduce new which is good, but it didn't go back to any of the old that it could have mm-hmm. for different continuity issues. It couldn't for some of them, but for for this, now that we're in a different universe, we can see some of those characters that they didn't know before TOS. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I liked it. I liked the way they did it. I liked the way they acted around them, you know, treating the Tholian by lowering the temperature 50 degrees and it flipping out. That was great. So, yeah, um, the Tholian was, was my favorite callback. The, uh, the Gorn... Um, I, well, I am glad they did it. I thought you know, that it just was like an excuse for filling out the story. Well, let's just throw a little bit of alien in here. You know, we're walking around corridors we don't, you know, that aren't you know, brightly lit and, you know, getting, you know, bitten by the head and lifted off the ground. And I mean, there was just, there was stuff in it that I, I didn't quite get what purpose that served for the, for the story. I mean, it was fun. But, uh, um, but I mean, I wouldn't have, I, that just wouldn't have been the direction I went, but that's just me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that the first part is definitely stronger than the second part, but the second part is all about fun and being able to play yep. with this TOS elements, you know? So they are, they're two different types of stories that are connected by the one plot thread, which is really kind of interesting, you know, because it, the second episode is so, it's really campy. And, yes. But it's wonderful, right? At the same time, it, so it, in in a sense, it was almost like as soon as they stepped on the Defiant, they they kind of wanted to tell to do their spin on a show from the original series. I mean, that script mm-hmm. kind of felt more like an original series show than it did a modern Star Trek show, which is okay. Oh no, a, yeah, I'm, I'm, a one or two off, it was fine. Um, I enjoyed it, but it, it also got to the point of Hoshi at the end, which. Yes. You know, is important. And we did see that Archer was willing to fight to keep that ship and stuff like that, where our Archer wouldn't have done that. That's right. You know, he would have just done what Starfleet had asked, and and that would have been that. So I did like that he kind of realized. And I love the fact that he kept having a demon him walk behind him and, like, talk to him. I didn't like that. See, I didn't like that. Did you like that, Kevin? I felt like that it was a device that would have worked better in print than it did on screen, um, but I did kind of like it. I, I mean, I just wonder if there would have been a different way to show that he was kind of psychotic. Um, I don't know the better way, so I'm so I'm on board with keeping it. But it but that kind of internal dialogue um, sometimes works, I think, better in print than it does on screen. It does, and maybe they could have fixed it by just not having him show up, like physically. Yeah, I don't know. But I liked it, and I liked the fact that and that image looked even more menacing than the archer that was menacing. Yes, I agree with that. See, for me, the reason why it didn't work is because the archer that we saw in the first part is extremely confident to the point where he's overtaking command of the ship for the sole purpose of getting to this this Federation signal that's in Tholian space. And I don't know, like, just... I, I realize it's only two episodes and we're just really reading into it, but 
I don't get that he would be he would lose that much confidence in himself by reading about himself from another universe. Mm-hmm. Not the guy that I saw in the first episode. I mean, that that was an interesting thing, especially because uh, you know Hoshi kept needling him about it, almost like mm-hmm. she knew that was his weakness. But how well did she know him, considering that she was you know hanging out with Captain Forrest? But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was like for him to read what. The, I mean, it's, well, Jeff, did you see the, uh, um, are you guys Rick and Morty fans? I know the show, but I haven't seen it. There's an, episode, seen there's an episode of Rick and Morty where uh, um, Rick gives um, them, uh, you know, the, the, the family, these uh, um, goggles that you could see what your lives are like in other universes. And, um, and, and you know, and of course, once you see um, anything that's better than what you've got now, you're going to, you know, start throwing stuff across the room. Which is exactly what Archer was doing. So it was kind of a uh, um, a fun, uh, I mean, you know, that that insight into you know his self esteem was was good. The thing I think that's just to me that's always in the back of my mind when I watch these two episodes is that it very much feels like this show, this version of the show, has been on for a while, and I'm sampling two episodes of it in the middle of its fourth season or whatever, and I don't have any context going in. And it leaves us with, you know, I mean, and you know, tune in next week. But I mean, so it really is just this little tiny slice of uh, of the mirror universe. And, and yeah, you got it. There's definitely an established universe prior to this episode, yep. and there's more to come after this episode. Yeah, You're, you've got that spot on. So yeah. uh, the last thing I want to talk about in this, and then I'll ask you guys if you have anything you want to talk about. My favorite little piece of fan service in this one here, and again, it's fan service done right, is with um with trip and his delta radiation burn yeah right because you just say delta radiation and it doesn't matter right but that's what happened to pike yeah was delta radiation you know so i don't know for me when i said that i'm like oh i love it you know so yep. to me that's fan service done right and i loved it it was spot on my yeah my my favorite character in the episode was trip without question mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, uh, and that, that guy was somebody who had been beaten and perverted by the system and, uh, and, and, and right down to the fact that his face was melted off. I thought yeah. it was terrific. And when they're sitting around in that meeting talking and, and Archer's telling him there's another ship and he's just like, so what? <laughs> like yeah. just the way that he delivers that line is just so perfect, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I would say I, I really like Trip too, and one of the reasons I really like Trip is because we see glimpses of that trip in our universe at the beginning of season three. Oh, good point. We see how that trip could have come out yeah. here, but because of the morals of the universe, it doesn't, you know? Nice catch. That's yeah, that's a that's very insightful. I like that. And and again, a testament to the performance. Um I you know, I think that uh like any show, there are actors of varying degrees of craft, um, but uh, but but uh, Connor Trenier's performance as Trip is one of my absolute favorite things about Enterprise as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah, excellent. Um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about for this two-parter, Kevin, that you'd like to touch on before we move to Demons and Terra Prime? Uh, not that I can think of. It's just I think that it is definitely a... Uh, a highlight of the series and uh, whether you are a longtime Star Trek fan or, or just coming in, you know, cold, it's, it's pretty solid show. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Patrick, anything you wanted to talk about? No, I think we hit it all. Um, I think the only thing I would say is, and I probably could have left this till we talked about the next one, but 
there's kind of a theme among these four episodes, these two and the next two, mm-hmm. with the way people believe their society should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's more of a discussion for the next two episodes. So, mm-hmm. well, what better so, time than now? Yeah, it is. It is pretty valid right now, especially you know we've got we've got a lot of racism going on right now in our lives, in our world, you know, and we got a lot of hatred going in for the you know the outsider as people view them, and so that's really what this episode is about. We've got we've got uh, humanity who's upset at aliens coming in taking their jobs and things like that. Sounds very familiar. Um, But I mean, while I'll get to it again, it's not a new movement. The movement's been around for a while. And I want to put that part on hold for a second, because I do have a specific question about that. But we've got humans who are trying to stand up for what they think is right by getting rid of all the aliens on the planet. So they've got this leader uh, named uh, Paxton, and, you know, he's kind of like a, not a descendant of, but a, a student of, of um, Colonel Green, who we saw mentioned in a TOS episode uh, in the Savage Curtain. And um, so it, it's really interesting to see this. And I think it's really believable. And we saw samples of this early in season four when those people attacked flocks right in the streets of uh, San Francisco there. So we saw the beginnings of some hatred towards aliens and some anger towards aliens. So I'm really glad that they picked up this thread. And it sounds like you guys think that this is a very suitable episode for this time in Enterprise as well. These four episodes to watch back to back like I did, um, being steeped in xenophobia um, were, uh, I mean, it was, I don't remember having the, reaction to them in 2005 that I have now. Sometimes they were just really hard to watch. I am sure that when I watched these in 2005, my response was, you know, oh, you know, this is a federation. It wouldn't happen. I mean, they're advanced enough. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this, you know, that's, that's not where people are going to be at this stage in, in our social evolution. So it wasn't as, uh, um, credible a threat to me then now that I recognize that we are not nearly as de- as developed or advanced or, uh, or or socially conscious as I thought we were <laughs> then there it's it's pretty telling so maybe I would I don't know were you still in New York for 9/11 Kevin no I moved to Kansas in 1969 so um, oh, but yeah. uh, but uh, but I was working as a news editor for a newspaper uh, in uh, the Kansas City metropolitan area, and uh, um, I have a lot of family in New York still. Okay, so maybe my perspective at the time was that these were extremely poignant episodes because of what was going on, and maybe it's because I was in New York, it was a little more in the forefront, but I can remember, you know people being attacked outside mosques. Now, look, the message has changed a little bit from 2005 to 2019 because of who the target of who they want to get rid of is. Yes. To some degree. I mean, look, Muslims are still a major target of who people want gone. The the people who do want people gone, I should say, are targeting Muslims, but not just Muslims now. Right after 9-11, it was pretty much, they forgot about everyone else, and it was just the Muslims because they were the, the, the terrorists were Muslim. Mm-hmm. At that time, it felt like we were targeting, and I mean, we as, you know, that, that, that mindset, whoever that, whoever is targeting that 
I did not hear the phrase white national or white supremacy like I do now. It felt like that the people who were hating were, were, were pointing at a more specific target in 2005, whereas now it feels like it's anybody who doesn't look like me, I, I, I hate equally. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree that there was some of that. I mean, look, white nationalists and white supremacists were behind a lot of that Correct. in 2005. But there were other people who were on board with their message. Yes. Whereas now a lot of those people are like, oh, wait a second. Now it's coming towards me, and that's not right. Now I realize what happened back then wasn't right either. Yes, I think that's or, a great way to, to phrase it. Yeah, and there's people like me who I didn't think it was right then, but I didn't understand. I was still, I mean... Uh, I wasn't even, tw- I was 19 years old, right, in 2001. So, I, I, I yes, I'm an adult, technically, right, but I'm not, I'm an immature kid at, at 19 <laughs> years old, still in college trying to drink. So, you know, I, I didn't understand how profound it was till later on in life. And so now it makes a bigger impact. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I do remember the stories of people being attacked just for being Muslim or for being in a mosque or for going near a mosque. And that still happens today, by the way, because they wanted to, and I don't know if it happened or not or if it's going to happen, they wanted, I think it did happen, build a mosque down by the World Trade Center. Yes. And people lost their minds because, well, they're the terrorists. I don't exactly know if that's true, guys. I don't know if this, the people in this mosque had anything to do with that. In fact, I'm fairly sure they didn't. Yeah. Then, and, and now, what was the? Uh, um, there was a, um, a couple of shows in Deep Space Nine's run that were uh, um, pretty focused on xenophobia too. Am, am I correct? The, the riots. Um, I'm trying to remember um, which. Well, they had all the ones about um, the ones that were like kind of out of universe. Were when they were about uh, when he was playing a an author. Oh yeah, that was Those that was far beyond that. the stars. This was one, I want, not future, I'm trying to remember the name of the title of the episode. Past tense. I'm sorry? Past tense. Past tense, when they go back to the Bell Riots. There you go. They actually just just rewatched it because they just covered it on Mission Log here uh, a few weeks ago. But yeah, so there was the Bell Riots and the secluding people into into the uh, Sanctuary Districts. But it's different because that wasn't racially motivated. Like that was, there was white people in there as well. It was just, people that didn't have jobs and stuff were getting shoveled in there. Yeah, it was it was socioeconomic rather than rather than yeah. Right, but at the time, I mean, those episodes were the late 90s and you had more of a class war going on in America at the time mm-hmm. between the rich and the poor. So, it made more sense to write that story from that lens. Um whereas now in 2005, to that look, and I've said it a million times on this podcast, people are probably sick of hearing me, but season 3 is 9/11 and its fallout. That's yeah. what season three is, and this is the culmination of that at the end of four. I, I think that's very valid. You know, and I think one of the great scenes is that Archer, being an optimist, comes back and says, well, we've been gone for so long, I figured this would be over with by now. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, it's only worse, which, by the way, in 2019, it's way worse. Yeah. Yeah, it is. One of the interesting things that I saw in Demons and Terra Prime that really affects me every time I watch it and is is seeing black people involved in this Terra Prime movement, you know? And I think it's a really interesting choice that they added it into the writing of this because of the history that African-American people have had in the United States with racism and stuff. And I think it adds an extra layer of 
of shock and surprise to the storytelling by seeing a, a black person standing up there saying all the things that white people have been saying, like racist white people have been saying for decades and centuries. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that's deliberate choice by the, you know, I mean, and, and Star Trek has been great at that since the beginning of, mm-hmm. you know, making, you know, choices of who's representing what, uh, um, what social stance on an issue and helping us question the validity of, of that because of where the message is coming from. And I'm positive that, that those choices were made deliberately. Well, and, and what's interesting about it is they say a lot of the things and I don't know, maybe um, I have bad friends or whatever, but I hear other people um, saying now, like, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure that white people are still the overwhelming majority in America. Right. But we're at least well, 51 percent. Yet I continue to hear, well, we're the minority now. And that's the exact same thing he was saying on that stage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You're not. You're not yes. the minority. It's not even close. You, it's obvious the, the, in that show and here. I think that I think that was the the part that was really resonating with me as I was rewatching this was what that rhetoric that a scriptwriter came up with in 2005 to to you know to put in their mouths was eerily similar to what we hear people saying now. I mean, it really was. There sometimes it was just giving me chills. Yeah, but I think it was being said back then, and we didn't hear it as often because we are not on Facebook. Yeah, and I wasn't yeah. paying attention. Right, yeah. and that's the other thing too, and that's what I mean by like, you know, I was nineteen, so it didn't, I didn't realize it as much. But it said an awful lot mm-hmm. here yeah. now in New York, you know, and other places. I can speak for where I live because that's where I live. But you know, I you also see it when you watch these these quote unquote protests, you know with the, I don't know, the people in polo shirts, but they're saying these exact same things, and seemingly intelligent people are believing them. That's the part that scares me, is that it's not, it's really easy to say, oh, that guy's a whack job, who cares what he has to say, it's him and ten friends, whatever, right? But when seemingly intelligent people start buying into it, that's when you start ending up with the problems that you have in this episode. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, it's, 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 it was a, and you know, and, but of all the stories there were to tell to go out on, because when they were making these choices of when this was going to take place and, uh, and I mean, you know, they felt strongly enough to send, if if we're going to send one last message with enterprise, you know, a solid two-parter, you know, or whatever, the message we want to send is, to uh, you know, to, to borrow the, the the Star Wars line, we can't give in to hate, which I think is is definitely a Star Trek message that uh, um, is is communicated to varying degrees of success in various Star Trek shows for the last fifty years. I do want to talk about. I had mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to a point, and this might be a hard topic to talk about. And I will admit a hundred percent that I'm not the most educated person on this stuff here, but. Samuels, President Samuels has a history with Terra Prime. Terra Prime has been around for a long time. I would say Samuels is probably, uh, I don't know, mid-50s, I I would say, in the show. And he said he was a young teenager at the time. So 40 years ago, he was a member of Terra Prime. His dad died in a a, a ship accident, and he blamed the, I can't remember the alien race that was in charge of the ship at the time. So he joined Terra Prime. And... I wanted to talk about this because 
Archer brings it up to him to kind of get some information, which is, I didn't like that Archer did that, right? Because it's just shy of blackmailing the guy to get the information he needs, and that didn't feel like an Archer thing for him to do. But I do like Samuel's response to it, where he's like, look, I was a young kid at once, and he's like, yes, you did your work, you dug it up, and it's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that I did in my past. And we're at this point right now in social media where you could dig up a tweet from 10 years ago or whatever, and it can haunt you, and it can ruin somebody's political career, it can ruin their acting career based on something they've said. And so it had me thinking about those things, and it's like, how long do people need to be accountable for something that they've done in their youth? And the, it seems like the answer nowadays is always. Well, I mean, I, I think we're still trying to figure that part out. The tough part is, you know, I mean, I'm an old white guy. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, um, you know, I have not experienced a lot of the things that many other people have experienced because of, you know, what they're bringing to the table uh, that, that, that I'm not. Um, one thing that, you know, that you can't tell somebody when their feelings are hurt. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just it's like, oh, come on, get over it. I mean, you just nobody, nobody has that permission to to do that. Um, I do think that there are uh, um, we're, we're still testing the waters to answer that question. You know, when when have you? Uh, when is I'm sorry, I was wrong. I want to do better. Uh, you know, when is that going to be accepted? On one hand, you know, I mean, James Gunn, who, you know, was, uh, um, you know, I mean, whose comments were brought to light that, uh, you know, cost him his gig, at least temporarily with Guardians of the Galaxy, um, is being given opportunities to uh, um, to um, uh, work again. There was, I was just reading an article in the New York Times today, and I'm going to lose the name of the person, but there is a, uh, um, a writer who is a political analyst that is coming out with a book basically about um, strategies that the Democrats can take, um, uh, you know, in the uh, next uh, presidential election. And uh, there are people who are upset that this person who had been uh, um, uh, brought up as a, uh, um, you know, as, you know, who uh, you know, made a number of, like I think, five or six different women had reported him as, as being uh, um, you know, sexually aggressive in the workplace, and, and they felt violated, and, and that led to him losing his uh, uh, the job that he had at the time, but now he's writing a book. I don't know who uh, gets, you know, I mean, when do you give that person the next chance? Who is the person that says it's okay for someone to, you know, um, to, to live and learn? we've got to figure that part out and and it's uh but i'm not the person who gets to say yes here is somebody who has uh atoned for uh, his or her behavior uh that gets the next opportunity and, and here's somebody who doesn't right so as somebody like if we just take it from the, the lens of, of star trek for a second as somebody who would be accepted by the terror prime movement i'm gonna basically um echo what kevin just said i don't get to say to someone who wouldn't get over it right I know it happened when he was 18, but you should get over it now. Because it's really easy for me to get over it because he doesn't have a problem with me. And he never had a problem with me. And maybe he doesn't have a problem with you anymore. But I think the answer to that question is overly complex because it also depends on what he did and how much involvement he had. If he went to four meetings for Tara Prime and realized, I don't really want to be a part of this, then I don't really care that he did it when he was 18. If he was in it for two or three years and 
carried out some operations, well, maybe he's not quite ready to be president then because he I, he's too conflicted at that point. Yeah, the the thing that we didn't have then that we've got now is the uh, um, the the uh, prevalence of social media. Mm-hmm. And if there had if if that episode was made in 2019, instead of saying yeah, I went to some meetings, might he have said? Yeah, I made some broadcasts, or I, you know, I made some uh, some videos, or or whatever. I mean, it's it's. Inter- I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, is is one horrible tweet, um, you know, better or worse than five only kind of horrible tweets? I mean, it's just it's a it's such a uh, difficult subjective place for any of us to 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 try to to reach um, to reach into. But Archer's decision to use that um you know the president's past against him um and you know and and being okay with it is you know i mean an interesting decision for him to make it's no different than the decision that paul makes um to uh, mention that uh, hey you've got it you know to peter weller's character whose name i'm gonna lose um you've got a disease that was that is being treated by technology that was brought to your planet by non-humans. Mm-hmm. So aren't you compromised in that, you know, you're telling all of us to get off planet, but you know, you're sick and you would be worse off if you didn't have the technological advances that you know a non-human brought to you. Mm-hmm. See, when I, when I hear that because of, so John Frederick Paxton is his name. And when he brings that up, he's like, I'm not the first uh, I don't think he uses the dictator. I'm not the first leader or whatever who doesn't live up to his own right. standards. Right. And as soon as he says that line, like, I, I don't know if this is what they intended. It probably was. But I think of Hitler because Hitler wasn't what he wanted his people to strive to. And I'm like, you're just putting this guy in an even worse category. I, that well, line. I think that was intentional. I mean, okay, good. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I felt right when yep. I read this because – I, like he's like white people from Germany and whatnot. He's he wasn't even from Germany, and like he wasn't blonde hair, blue eyed, and you know, like all this stuff. So like that's and that was my initial yep. thought for comparing him to Hitler. And I'm like, oh, yeah, awesome. Like that's and, a, yeah. that's a very strong visual image in my head. Just oh, that one no. little line. And and it doesn't just like obviously Hitler is going to be the first one anyone thinks of because of how high profile World War Two was, but a lot of cult leaders are the same way. A lot of cult leaders all over the world over the years have been exactly that. They have not been what they've claimed was perfect. Yeah. You know, Jonestown was like that. Um, Waco, Texas was like that. Heaven's Gate, the old guy was like. There's so many of them you could point to that fit this description. I I, I mean, it would be kind of crazy for you to think of those before Hitler, but I'm just saying this is a, a repetitive pattern, and this is basically, Tower Prime is basically a cult, right? Oh, yeah. I think I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I mean, the... And when, you know, here we are trying to unpack, you know, these two episodes and, you know, it's laudable for Star Trek to take on an issue that is this complex. And, you know, these are 14 year old episodes and and we're, and we're, they're as relevant now as they've, as they've ever been. Um, But gee, many Christmas. I mean, this is just a, I mean, you know, this isn't something that, uh, um, that, you know, two TV shows are going to be able to, you know, to move the needle on. Uh, we hope that maybe there's a kid out there somewhere who, you know, watched this 
at age 14 that now at age 28 doesn't behave the way he or she might have because they saw in those episodes that there's a better way to treat so, okay, um, off topic, I'm that kid, but I'm from TOS. I mean, I'm not that old, but I watched my first episode was Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yeah. And watching that episode, and not it's not watching the episode. The more important thing is what we're doing right now and talking about that yeah. episode. Yeah. But talking that episode through with my father and as a seven-year-old kid not understanding that black on one side, white on the other was different from black on one side and white on the other. Yes. But talking through that episode is what informed a lot of my adult life so far yep. and how I treat others or see others or whatever the case may be. And so I agree with you. I hope that someone watched these episodes as a child or a teenager or whatever and had these discussions with their parents uh, and their parents were like mine who explained to me the why that's wrong, yeah. why it's not okay to look at people that way and, and uh, ended up you know, better off. The world's a little bit better place for, for every one person that's in that mindset, I guess. Um, what's interesting is we've talked about this, uh, these two episodes for probably 30 minutes now. We haven't even touched on the fact that there's a baby involved. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we haven't touched on the baby yet. So, um, so yeah, there's a baby. The, the baby baffles me. The baby, that just, that just, that just baffled me. I, what I feel is it was just a story device to prove the rest of the episode we just talked about it was just a story device to rip my freaking heart out well that happens at the end but before that (laughs) i think it was proof of the the overarching topic of this this racism and xenophobia because they flat out in the beginning of the episode call it an abomination yes and there are people who believe if you're white and your husband or wife is black that that's a problem that's and and they were in 2019 that's ridiculous to think but there are people out there who believe it. Yeah. I, the, 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 the lengths that this group went to in the context of the episode, I mean, to, that, you know, to suggest that there are um, covert agents of Terra Prime on Enterprise that would take you know, biological material and get it off the ship and put it in the hands of uh, scientists that would create this, you know, this, this child just so they could show it as evidence of abomination, as you said. I mean, you know, those, I mean, I, I guess that's the only thing they came up with that said, we need to show the viewer in this short amount of time the great lengths that people who hate will go to to scare other people into hating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, I, I just thought that whole part was... It's even more elaborate than some Bond villains. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and and it's so. you know, and it was it was sad. I mean, it was like you know the uh, um, you know, and then when when you know to to underscore how horrible their actions were, they killed the baby off. This yeah, there there were decisions that were made in that particular screenplay that I that I would not have made myself. Yeah, because even if, like, a P- fans that they, they, like, I don't want to consider the next episode, so this is my finale, like, that's a pretty downer finale to be... There's a next episode? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's a, that's a pretty downer thing to end your show on, even there, too. It, I mean, for a it, show it is. that, especially in the fourth season, was so hopeful and so optimistic and, and finding places to be fun. I mean, that, I mean, the, the, I mean what we... 
what we got cheated out of was a fifth season where that show really under the under who I think was the right showrunner could have flourished and and created some of the best Star Trek moments you know among all the Star Trek moments mm-hmm. and and the uh, um, you know so to cancel the series was kind of our poke in the eye uh, and uh, these are the voyages was our kick to the balls. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that in one second here. One thing that I did want to say, because you did bring it up, though, is I'm so glad. Now, Kevin, you only watched these four, so I don't know if you remember exactly, but leading up into these episodes, there's been a lot of friction between Trip and Kelby. Yes. And I am so glad that it didn't turn out to be Kelby. And it turned out to be somebody else. I realized that they manipulated the Evans to think that it was him, yeah. but I'm glad that it wasn't him. Cause I'm I like, agree. I don't want another person who's angry at somebody. So they do something nasty. Like some people can just be mad and not have to do some heinous action. You know, like, like what happened to Kelby is, is crappy. What trip did to Kel- Kelby is crappy. He left the ship. He came back. And he said he was leaving, and then he stayed and kicked him out of his job again. You know, yes, fine, the, the alien pheromones amplified that stuff in Bound. But, I mean, like, that is kind of crappy. He, he lost his promotion because of Trip jerking around and what was going on with DePaul, right? Now, so, do you, do you agree with the writer's decision on how the uh, Terra Prime operative um, was, was, you know, dispatched? Doesn't make sense to me. I... I just yeah, that 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 part sat really wrong with me too. For him to be at Archer with a gun to suddenly decide to off himself in front of Archer just doesn't make any sense. You know what? What I felt like they were doing, I felt like they were they were trying to do their version of uh, Captain Terrell in Star Trek Two. Uh, but and that you're talking yeah. about the one where he he first off that was the worst. I, I love Archer, but that was the worst reaction to try and get a gun away from somebody in the history of television. <laughs> um, he was a step away and couldn't make it in time. But um, he says, I didn't want anyone to get hurt. Like, nonsense. Right. I don't know nonsense. what that was. It was like, hey, we, you know, we, we've got to figure out, you know, we, here's a plot thread that we've got. There's somebody running around on the ship that works for Terra Prime. Uh, you know, we need to tidy this up before we go to commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My only yeah. answer to that, and again, this is headcanon that we talk about on the show, is... He was in a similar situation as Samuels, where he was just confused at the time, and he thought he was helping them out, so he got the DNA off the ship that he needed to, and he didn't want anybody to get hurt. And now he regrets his actions, and he killed himself. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. I don't know. So. Yeah, the, I think I think that this was, you know, a laudable goal for them to pick this ambitious of, or I mean, this. I mean, an ambitious show to try to address a topic that is certainly, you know, front page news for us nowadays every day mm-hmm. that just I think it was just too much for them to, to try to unpack in, you know, a uh, hundred minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing I, I know you guys both said, like, had the next episode not happened and I know I joke about it all the time, but it did happen. But if it didn't happen, this being the ending to me and maybe it's cuz I'm more of a cynical person than both of you that would have been a perfect ending for me if it had to end in season 4 That'd be fine. because i think it everything was so negative at the time at least where i lived that 
it, it it seemed to fit right. Look, so Star Trek has always been a lens of us, and it's always been a, a commentary on social issues to me. And uh, that's been more important than any of the other aspects of the show. I liked other aspects of the show, but that is the most important aspect to, for me. So for it to end that way would not have. It would have been good for me. I would I would have thought it would have fit. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I I I think I would be happier with it than unhappy with it. I just I mean. It just was, uh, you know, and how many shows get the luxury of knowing when they're going to end and and try to put a bow on everything for us as fans? You know, not, I mean, fewer than you think. Mm-hmm. So ironic you would mention it that way. Um, so <laughs> Scott Bakula, I'm, this is just a Scott Bakula little trivia thing. Um, Quantum Leap didn't know it was getting canceled. It had a good idea, and that's why it ended the way it did yeah. so terribly with just the line. He never got home. And then in this one, he was so furious about the ending of this one. Um, I forget who said it, but they were like, this is the only time they thought he wanted to strangle them. Yeah. And when, in fact, um, I think that. Bernie, uh, maybe? No, I think it was Braga. I think Braga said Braga. That it, it was, was Braga. the only time that Bacula was mad at him and was yelling. Yep. And he should have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he got two really garbagey endings in his two biggest shows. Yeah, well, and, and my favorite Scott Bakula show of them all, if you haven't watched it, watch it, Men of a Certain Age. Um, oh, I love that show. I loved it, and, and that show was gone way too soon. Uh, two seasons was not nearly enough. Yeah, yeah it just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's, let's move on to These Are the Voyages. We will talk about it here. Okay, so I don't hate this episode. Okay, I don't like that it's the final episode. Now, there's kind of like this counter movement right now. You know, we've talked to a few people on the show, and they're like, had this been like a mid-season episode, nobody would be batting an eye at this. Yep, I agree. They're right, though. I 100% agree. They're right. I I was going to say, I don't hate the episode in concept. Mm -hmm. I hate that this is the last episode of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could even have been a season finale, as long as it wasn't the finale. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a it would have been a better season finale than that. Was it was it a season two um, next gen finale? Was the clip show with Riker, um, you know, dying or something? Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. It's always Riker. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, yeah, this is. I mean, uh, um, when it happened, everyone was outraged for a reason. Uh, Braga has recanted uh, publicly uh, more than once, uh, saying that. It was a great, they thought it was a great idea when it was happening, but I'm with you guys. It would have been fine if it had been, um, you know, episode 10 of 22. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could have even been right before this block of four, you know, uh, and and it would have been fine. It's just that the fact that this is how it ends is terrible. And if you remember, Brandon, way back when we first started podcasting, um, we were actually talking and coming up with episodes so we could do. Warp 5 every week while Floyd was still here. So I was filling in in the weeks between. Mm -hmm. And we had done, what two episodes would you watch together, this and TOS? And I actually picked this episode and the first episode of TOS. Because of how this one physically ends and that one starts. Oh, nice. So so I know I've joked for a year and a half about how bad this episode is doesn't exist. It, It does feel more like a TNG episode. But... It's it's not the episode, it's the placement of yeah. the episodes that's so bad. 
Like, I like the story that's going on. I like how it ties it up. Like, let's go back to Rigel 10, which is where we started the show. We've got Shran coming back after a long period of time. And even, like, this story... But even there, like, that story is not a good finale story. It's not good enough to be a finale, right? It's a good episode maybe near the end, like a second or third last episode of a show. Even if they didn't do the Troy Riker... It's not strong enough to be a finale oh, on its own. It's, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, and, and yeah. to me, there are flaws all the way through it. Um, the uh, um, And it just it just felt like when they made the decision to do this, they thought what people wanted was um, more next-gen. Um, and, and everything was done through the lens of, you know, Riker's journey in decision-making, and the Enterprise crew was an afterthought. And the yeah. worst afterthought of all was this, you know, I mean, waiting for the second shoe to drop after Troy's like, well, if only you knew he wasn't getting home. You're like, oh, what? Man, that line. And then we're just, like waiting and waiting and waiting for, you know, to, for this to have just, it just was just poorly devised. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and one of the things that drives people crazy about this episode, actually doesn't bother me, is that Trip dies. And I know... And they actually give you an out because this is a hologram, so you can just ignore it. But um, even that, like, he died a hero's death, you know, so it doesn't really bother me that that had happened in and of itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to die as a character on a TV show, good for you. You got paychecks for every episode. <laughs> and you know, you know, and, and so. I did like the wink to the camera as they shoved him in the hyperbaric chamber or whatever. But the other thing that I had to wonder, and this is maybe a little bit more deeper analysis than this episode deserves but given the fact that this is all through a hologram program do we even know like the dialogue in between the characters i mean you know is the computer recording all this and saving all this or is all of that speculation i mean i don't know if if there would be record of the conversation that trip and paul had you know on you know do you miss me I mean, you know, where where did they have record of that? That was the thing that, as as I as my disgust with the episode started to deepen, and I was really digging into what works and what doesn't. I thought this is just a carnival ride. It's not. It's this isn't this isn't an adventure of the Enterprise. This is. I mean, this this is the Star Tours of you know. I mean, and uh, and, and so that just started to bug me worse. So Okay, so let me address that here, Patrick, before you jump in. So, like, to me, I don't know, I I grant that, I don't have any problems with that myself, because that's no different than where the hell did they get the footage in Star Trek IV for the Klingons going onto the bridge of the Enterprise right before it blows up? Because that is, right, like, where did that come from? Because the ship blew up. (laughs) <laughs> so whatever security footage there was is gone when the ship blew up. So I don't know. Like, it's one of those things that you have to do in TV. How many times has there been a recap of some sort? And it's like, technically, that footage of what we're seeing is not even possible. So I, I, I just boil it into that same That's category. fair. That's no, fair. Well, no, but hold on. I, I wouldn't. I, I can see why you would, but I wouldn't. And um, one of the reasons is because I do security systems. But the footage of on the bridge right before something explodes can be held off-site. But would the Federation be recording everyone in their bedrooms mm-hmm. is a little different. You know what? This is Alexa. This is what happens. This is Alexa. I mean, this is what she's going to. Yeah, but, and maybe that's how they got it. That's true. But 
I think uh, most people's headcanon is they just made up history and, you know, history's not always accurate. And don't we have that episode of Voyager where they're watching the history of Voyager or some nonsense? Yeah, but that's actually really it, good. <laughs> it, no, it is, but it, but it, but it, it's nothing like what actually happened. Yeah, the do- is, it, is it like the doctor is, is, you know, still activated in some museum of like hundreds of yeah. years? Yeah, that's a fantastic episode. Yeah, but they show Voyager as this massive warship that came in just to kill people. Like, <laughs> yes. that didn't really happen, and that's... I don't know, man. Have you seen Voyager? That's pretty close to what they did every week. <laughs> <laughs> True, but that wasn't their intent, and the ship looked nothing like that. Yeah. The ship in that episode looked way better than the actual Voyager, and I actually like Voyager. Yes. The yes, ship. But, but like, so what's to say most of this isn't doctored or changed or rewritten or improvised or whatever? Mm-hmm. Just to make this program where you could have done it much better had you actually just given me the story. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that also, well, you know, as again, as we said, and, you know, I mean, give this episode the death of the thousand cuts that it deserves. But I mean, a six year time jump, mm-hmm. a six year time jump that, uh, that, you know, there's all those stories that happened in between the end of, uh, of Terra Prime and the beginning of uh, These Are the Voyages. And I just, and I felt like just when, when you told me that, I was a little like, dang, this is just hard to, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm missing all the good stuff. Yeah. See, I tweeted out the other day too, like I really love the stuff between Chef and the crew. You know, and I mean, to me, that's some really touching stuff. And I actually tweeted out, I'm like, man, you know, one of my dreams would be that Riker actually, or sorry, Jonathan Frakes actually was hired on for season five of Enterprise and played chef. And he had a role like Guinan. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And, and but again, he's awesome in it. He's awesome that, in that role. But again, that goes back to what Kevin said. This was more of a TNG-esque episode. Mm-hmm. And Frakes was Guinan. But... I think the whole episode, you know, it was to get to the point of we're going to start the Federation, but also it was the point to see these characters' last moments. Yeah, together. You know, and right, and, and their feelings towards Archer and one another or whatever through through the eyes of, of the chef. You know, and this was a way of getting a one-on-one interview with each character without sitting them down for a one-on-one interview. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's and I don't, And I like that too, but... Oh, yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, if, Brandon Braga has, uh, you know, from what I understand, come forward more than once and said, "We went into this finale thinking it would be more fun to make a lost TNG episode than it would be to do an Enterprise finale," and that just that that just feels like a slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it was too. I think I think part of it was, and this might be why in later years people who watch it now too don't feel the same kind of visceral hate that people who watched the first run dude is if you are watching it later or whatever i mean yeah you wanted to make a tng episode a lost tng episode that's great now however back then there were so many people who hated enterprise yeah that if you were a fan of enterprise you were constantly defending yep that's true so for your last episode to be an episode of tng the show that everyone was saying was better than the one you were currently watching Mm. was even worse because you can't i how do i even defend this yeah Mm -hmm. because everything everyone that liked tng was see their last episode had to be an episode of my show (laughs) and you're right you're exactly right that's the way it felt at the time 
And so I remember it, watching that episode live, and I was so let down because I knew it was a two-hour finale because they they aired they built demons it one as week. That. Yeah, yeah. They aired demons one week, and they aired Terra Prime and these are the voyages back to back as a two-hour finale. And I'm like, well, I heard that the last episode had nothing to do with it, but they're airing a two-hour finale here, so I'm excited about this. And then I watch it, and I'm like, it had nothing to do with it. To me, what just happened? (laughs) And that was the other problem too. You got all excited for this big two-hour extravaganza that turned out to be a good ending to the episode the week before, and then. Something that should have been on the DVD in a bonus feature. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Kevin, I have a question for you, and we're not going to talk about the books. Okay, that's fine. No books. Why the hell did he wink at him? <laughs> Why did Trip wink at him? Why did they have this slow motion wink? I don't know. I kind of liked it. It just, I mean, it was just like, you know, hey, everything's going to be okay. And then, you know. I don't, I don't know. see to me as well, like watching this again, trip sacrifice is so it, it, it doesn't work for me in this episode. Like I understand. I, I, I don't know why they wrote it this way because we have, how many times have we seen aliens take over the ship on star Trek? Right. Yeah. Like 10% of the episodes are aliens take over the ship. Yeah. Okay. Captain Picard is a child. And they figure out a way to take over the ship back from the Ferengi. Yeah. And this panic, this sudden panic that Trip is in and the desire to like, you know what? The, my only solution for this is to off myself and kill all these people as well is just to me, it's way over the top from the 700 episodes of Star Trek that have come before it. It doesn't fit in the tone of what Star Trek is. What I feel, well, first off, we don't have to remember that they, you know, spent however many hours before the aliens showed up getting loaded, so we could always blame the whiskey. But uh, <laughs> and that looked like good whiskey. Yeah, evidently. I mean, Zephyr Cochran picked it out. <laughs> but yes, uh, see. Um, but I also think that there, that at least, and this is me trying to give the benefit of the doubt to this particular story. Um, Trip was very conscious very conscious of the role that Archer played in the, as a morale builder and a you know historical figure. And just kind of this idea that this is a man who is, you know, I am in the presence of a man who is shaping the course of, of galactic history. Mm-hmm. And when there was this, you know, this possibility that, you know, these you know, you know aliens from whatever planet are going to show up and shoot him because they're mad that they didn't get their amethyst was so scary to him that, you know, I mean, it can't end this way. It can't end this way. And he decided to, you know, flail his arms and, and uh, um, and and do everything he could to make sure that Archer didn't die because all he could see in his mind is what would what would the future be like without this person alive? And he just and so he decided that uh, you know it was at all costs he was going to preserve Archer's life. Again, um, it just it didn't feel like there was enough room to to for that moment to be authentic. Um, they're just, I mean, the story, I mean, that whole story just felt shortened because every time 
there was room for it to try to breathe that you know Riker would Riker. say freeze program and we were back <laughs> we were back into a next gen episode and he would fast forward an hour yes yes or, or, or ruining say, oh, the next 16 hours are boring you should really yeah, right so so all of a sudden like you're like I wanted to hear the next line yeah. like yeah what was going to be said next but I, I so I understand what you're saying Brandon but I guess for me, I agree with Kevin. I think he felt I have to save Archer, and I felt I feel like with Shran and his kid on board, that Archer was going to die before he gave that up, and he wasn't. He was going to die. That, there was no two ways about it. He wasn't going to give Shran up, and that's why he demanded they knock him out. Um, I also think that he didn't really know he was going to die. He thought there was a chance he was going to blow this thing, and from where he was in the room, he would be okay. Yeah, because what? Yeah. Because he the the injuries that he died of, if I if I if I heard it correctly, was that he breathed in superheated air and uh, and and melted his lungs. Um, Which, by the way, he would never do. I could promise you that that would be the one way he wouldn't die, given his profession. That, and and I believe you. And that's the thing that I think that he. I mean, you know, he he maybe he knew. Well, you know, I know what to do. And then something happened, the concussion went wrong or something hit him in the head or who knows what. I mean, I think Tripp died because Tripp made a mistake. He knew he was going to get out of this okay, but something effed up and he didn't. Yeah, because I can tell you from personal experience, like uh, I've never overloaded a system on purpose. I've never had an explosion like that go off, thankfully, in front of me. However, we are trained for very young in the business, and I'm just, you know, I'm not doing Starship, so I have to assume he understands explosions and electrical arcs. But uh, that before you throw anything, you take a massive breath in. Because anytime anyone is ever startled in life, think of any time you've ever been startled. Yes. The first thing you do is go, yep. Right. But if you're holding all the air you can hold in your lungs, when that happens, when you get that flash, you don't breathe in. You actually breathe out. If anything. Yeah. And that's you then will not suck in that explosion. And it's not even the explosion you have to worry about sucking in because while that's hot, the air around it is about, you know, the explosion itself is about the temperature of the sun. The air around it is pretty close. Superheated, yeah. You know, but we're trained. That and the joke of it is, you know, I'm a righty, so I throw the breaker with my left hand because if it blows up and takes my arm off, at least I can sign the checks <laughs> for disability. But, you know, um, so he would have he would have had his he would have spun his back to it. First off, if this was real, he would have spun his back to it so that the explosion would only burn his back and he would have breathed in just before it happened. And watching it this time, I, was, I, I watched for that because anyone in the trade would know that's what you should do. Yeah. So, again, uh, giving uh, more credit to uh, that particular story than it may deserve. Mm-hmm. A ton more than it should deserve. But but if we're going to hear if we're going to talk about it, we might as well. Yeah. yeah. No, it's fair. It's fair. Um, OK, so I guess the last thing that we should talk about then is then we should talk about a little bit about the Pegasus arc that's in the story here. Um, the only even there. To me, the, it's odd that they chose that episode because for him to like be taking the time to have this holodeck thing while that episode is going on, it just doesn't work for me as well. I like the Pegasus a lot. Pegasus a lot. I, I love it's a wonderful that episode. episode. But 
uh, even there, it's not like it's this, I don't buy that it's this life and death of a decision for Riker that he needs to take the time out while the stuff is going on and watch this holographic program. Yeah. So even that choice of an episode is a very strange one to me because that's not even, that's never considered a fan favorite episode. Like with D Space Nine doing Trials and Tribulations, while I don't think tr The Troubles with Tribbles is the best episode of TOS, many people do. Right, so like, there's yeah. that justification. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say the Pegasus is the best episode of the Next Generation. Everybody seems to like it. I I, I like it because I thought it was intriguing. But yeah, I'm the, the the internet is not clamoring for the master cut mashup of the Pegasus and these are the voyages where yeah. you watch <laughs> the beginning of the Pegasus and then sandwich in these are the voyages. And then finish the Pegasus. I mean, you know. Can I confess that when we did our 2016 rewatch for Trek FM, I actually did that. I <laughs> Pegasus, took out my disc at about 20 minutes left in the episode, popped in These Are the Voyages, and then watched it. It doesn't quite work. Yeah. But I actually did that, and I'll never do it again. Yeah, it is. It yeah, it's, it's, it's the uh, job of the hut in the hangar bay of Star Trek. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it is. So. I don't know. Patrick, do you have anything, thoughts on them choosing the Pegasus? Any comments? No, I don't care. I, I just like the... I, <laughs> I don't care what episode they picked. Whatever episode they picked, I'd find a reason to not like it. So yeah. why not the Pegasus? Yeah. They should have, instead of done a, TMG, a TNG episode, they should have just done a Voyager episode where um, we see um, Paris and Janeway watching this holodeck before they have sex as salamanders. That would have been it. terrific. <laughs> but again, they chose TNG because Voyager sucks and D-Space Nine sucks and Enterprise sucks and everything sucks except for the next generation. That's, that's right? Unless, of course, you go to the news articles one week before TNG came out, then it sucked. Yeah, it exactly. Sucked. Yes, that's right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I will tell you the part that I still kind of think is cool in these are the voyages. I do like the very end where they take the, the intro to the show and do the Picard, Kirk, Archer mashup. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I love it's it. The, it's the entire reason why I picked it for my two part watch with this yeah. and TOS was that one little part yeah. that and them showing you the you know the the conference where they're going to start the federation i thought was cool that is cool i mean you know good good thing that uh his speech that was so good troy had to memorize it in school we hear nothing of yeah. <laughs> did that not drive everyone crazy <laughs> it's such a great speech and then they just get rid of it yeah but that it, that it fits perfectly it. with the writing of this episode <laughs> so Look, the most important thing ever said in human history. Yeah. Pause program. Yeah. Fast forward one hour. And that's my speech. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's getting ready to do. Yeah, it's, I mean, to yeah, to do that thing. And, right, and Troy says, well, it sounds like you've made your decision. I guess we're done here. Okay. It's like, what? Could you get to that point? Like, even if that was a true story, right? Could you do that at that moment? No, I, just, I mean, and play it out. Would you? Would you it's watch? Not, it's, it's, would you watch? Yeah, everything up until the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And go, ah, I'm good. If you make it through the White Album and decide to skip Revolution Nine, that's fine. But nobody's going to make it all the way to this point and skip that speech. Nobody's going to. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, you guys haven't even mentioned what I think is the biggest crime in this episode. Oh, okay. Okay, this is season seven of The Next Generation. Data is not asking, why am I checking for rain in season seven? <laughs> that's, that's an excellent point. <laughs> they don't even know Data's line. They don't even know Data's dialogue. Proper. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Well, they, they had to go season seven because, you know, that was, that was the season of the uniforms that, that fit Franks. That's <laughs> <laughs> not, that's horrible. I'm a big guy too, dang it. <laughs> okay, so we all love These Are the Voyages. Greatest oh, ever. yes. It was yes. a wonderful moment to start. Wonderful. <laughs> Just wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyways, uh, any final thoughts on these? We went longer than I thought. This has been a wonderful well, conversation. Well, we had Kevin, fun. I mean, and, and you were right. You said we were going to sit down and just be three guys talking. And the truth is that uh, that when you look at these five episodes in this weird little microcosm of, of those five stories, we really hit on so many things that make Star Trek work over 50 years. Um, the idea that we have wonderfully imaginative tales that throw us into, you know, these the storytelling uh, um, devices like the mirror universe that, that were beyond our imagination. We went into relevant and, 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 uh, and, and very, you know, thought provoking social commentary. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a sense of characters that are at their best when they're working with each other. Um, that, uh, you know, I mean, and reasons for them to love them for their brokenness. I mean, when you look at the things they were trying to do in those five, in those five hours, that's why Star Trek has worked for 50 years. That just, that just, you know, I mean, but you know, the, the frailties of those episodes are, are glaring for those of us who love this show. Mm-hmm. Patrick, any final thoughts on this? Yeah. Just a few things I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, one, with the first two episodes, if the Terran Empire was really as cutthroat as it is, I don't see it actually surviving to be an empire at any point. Yeah. It's it's great that, you know, and I know people have made this comment to me, they were, well, you know, in the Italian mafia in the 20s, they would kill each other left and right. Yeah, but they were really only fighting against the FBI, really, and each other. So, and the FBI wasn't what it is today, but if they had every world government going after them, they wouldn't have lasted a week with that kind of... They had, they, at some point, they would have to protect themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, is it, now, and I always wondered, if you don't like the grades you get in the course in Starfleet Academy and the Terran Empire, can you kill your teacher? And yes. then become it. Yes. You become the teacher. I've now become the teacher. So I got an A. But that's what I mean. Like, it just wouldn't work, but I, I get why they do it. I just That's just an observation. Um, and another thing, when, when they went into... Uh, de- demons? Yeah, when they went into demons, I thought we, the first time watching this, I thought we were still in the mirror universe. Oh, okay. they, it was still dark. The halls were dark. You know, everything was dark, and the way they were talking, and you'll remember what it is. It's an abomination. And then the regular intro came in, and I went, "Oh, well, this is happening in real universe." I hadn't thought about that, but boy, that's that's a good insight. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you know, but other than that, I mean, look, I enjoyed it. I enjoy Star Trek and um, whatever. It, 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 there are bad episodes at times. Oh, there, there's definitely bad placement of episodes at times. But overall, I mean, Enterprise is my favorite series. It is. I know it's no one else's. I'm the only person in the world who believes that. That's but, not true. There's plenty of people who um, believe that. 
but you know, and it's for the reason that I lived the the social commentary they were talking about. Unlike all the other iterations of Star Trek, where I was either, you know, I was four when Next Generation came out. I wasn't alive when TOS came out, and I was too young for the other stuff because most of it was still talking about TOS era topics, you know. And but this one, I was actually alive and very conscious of. And when T- when Enterprise was on, I'm I'm joining the military because of things that had happened in this country, and so I understand both sides of that coin that they're trying to tell us with these characters and so it left a lasting impact on me that it will you know forever be my favorite star trek no matter what else comes out after this and um but you know and that's pretty much all i have to say about that excellent kevin thank you so much it's been it's been wonderful chatting with you oh this yeah just flown by i mean yeah we we kind of you know we this definitely went places i don't think any of us expected to uh to go but that's that's the that's to me, the most satisfying part about trying to unpack these episodes is that we learn more about each other, even as we're just trying to talk about it, and uh, and it just makes the show more relevant. Mm-hmm. You got it. Um, is there any other projects that you're working on that you want to tell the listeners about? We did talk about your new ornament series for the <laughs> Universe. That's you coming. don't know. I, I've, I've got nothing to think to shamelessly self promote right now. Um, um, uh, uh, you know, Dave and I were just talking. Uh, we. Uh, um, spent quite a bit of yesterday together. Um, we went and saw Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> oh, nice. Which was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to go see the uh, Rush documentary on Wednesday and uh, Once Upon a Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on Friday. Um, so we're always talking about what we might want to do next. And uh, um, But uh, right now it's kind of a, you know, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Right on. Where can people find you online if they want to? I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm Kevin Dillmore on Twitter. I'm Kevin Dillmore on Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see pictures of my grandson uh, and uh, a lot of dumb jokes. You follow me on Twitter, you'll you'll uh, see me, uh, um, you know, make uh, angry political rants. So just, I mean, pick pick your channel. (laughs) Awesome. Excellent. Well, talking about uh, Star Trek The Next Generation is not all we've been doing on the network this week. So take a quick listen to this clip to see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. Is this the Supernatural Klingon episode? What is this going to be? And then it just turns out to go in, you know, go in and dig your own time crystals, State Park. I mean, it's (laughs) like, okay... I, well, Larry, again, you know, he, you, he you, you go it. in there and you there's a like a, a basket type thing there and you, you put in your 10 quat lose and you mm-hmm. get 60 minutes to dig your time crystal. Darsex. Darsex. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the Klingons want Darsex, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go in and actually however many time crystals you can dig in 60 minutes, you get to keep. But the catch is they're time crystals. So 60 minutes to one person is only a minute to someone else. Literary Treks. Uh, we have the conversation between Pike and the uh, the Star, Starfleet Admiral Terrell uh, about the specifics of why they were kept out of the war. This is even before we're in a situation where they have no choice but to stay out of the war. They couldn't go back if they wanted to. By, you know, sort of setting up the, the the milestones in the story for this is about when this is happening during season one 
uh, you know, that allows us to tell our own independent story within that. But yet also, you'll always know where you are in the regular TV show. Earl Grey. That question about whether life exists, either yes, it does, because like enough time has elapsed and there's enough planets out there, or no, it doesn't, because we are that race. Oh, <laughs> that seeds yeah. life elsewhere in the universe. At the some point the other the answer is it did, but they all destroyed themselves. You know, but that's that's also kind of unlikely that you'd have lots of civilizations all doing the same thing and destroying themselves. I think. But to the journey. <laughs> the that's all I could think about with that this one. Is, this is the Seinfeld in space episode. I keep waiting for Elaine to show up. I'm trying to think of what Jerry Seinfeld would say in Jerry Seinfeld's tone of voice inside this episode. Can you do can you can you do a good Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, good grief, no. Not even close. I'm trying to think how I would approach doing a Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. It's not coming to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that super high pitched da 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 kind of I don't know, kind yeah. of voice. Well that you did really well, the da 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 da. So yeah. There you go. Why don't they just warp out of here? <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get all the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find your shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. There are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel. That's B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Patrick, where can people find you when you're not checking for rain? When I'm not checking for rain which has been happening a lot lately in my neighborhood, but when that's not happening, um, you can find me on the network with my good friend Amy Nelson over on the edge. You can also find me uh, on Twitter at MagicDrop5. There's no spaces. The five is a digit and not spelled out. And you can also find me on a new podcast coming out soon on the United Federation of Podcasts called uh, Mickey's Marvels. Uh, I'm not sure where this fits into all the other recordings we've done, so in other places you will hear... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> magical mutterings is that a Harry Potter podcast yes you'll hear about a, a magical mutterings Harry Potter podcast that does not exist anymore but it is going to be Mickey's Marvels and that is with my good friend uh, Chris Chibuzio so uh, <laughs> Brandon uh, where can people find you when you're not trying to find derelict ships in the that are from the future in the past in the future of another universe you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. I'm here on the network with The Line, which is our podcast devoted to Star Trek Picard. You can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom. We talk about Alfred Hitchcock films once a month on Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And also over on the United Federation of Podcast Network with my friend Zach Moore. And we cover all the films and sequels and remakes in the series. And we are currently smack dab in the middle of Terminator because Terminator Dark Fate is coming out soon. 
At this time, we'd like to thank the wonderful associate producers of Warp 5. That's Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Tribuzio, and Jim McMahon. Thank you so much for supporting Warp 5 in particular and Trek FM on a whole. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. To get all the details, perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great uh, it requires a great wheel, easy for me to say. It Last requires <laughs> it requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Listen, dude, you're not the only guy who's tired. <laughs> I'm the only guy who's midnight for. Yes, it's... it's uh, I, Well, I've been up since 2 o'clock, my time. And Why? It's now 10 o'clock, my time. I couldn't sleep last night, so I just woke up, and so I listened to an audio commentary for Terminator 3, and then I got ready for work, and then... Is that why you did the the associate producers before the patron this time? Because I'm tired. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I thought it was senioritis. No, senioritis. Something like that. <laughs> Anyways, until next time, don't be afraid of the pillow. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs>